Well, if you will turn over in your Bibles today, we're going to be over in 2 Samuel, chapter 5. 2 Samuel in the 5th chapter. This is the chapter where, where David comes to the throne. This is the man who is growing in honor. He's learning more and more about how to walk in honor. He's more learning more and more about what honor is. And though we've seen sometimes when he's dipped down a little bit, he's come back up. We saw that he dipped down a little bit and made that union with Abner last week. That Abner was actually running the country in the north. That the king only ran it for about two years. Abner ran it for the rest of the time. The people will try to usurp thrones and authorities that God has put in place. And when they do, they are not a person of honor. Abner may look like he had some good qualities about him, but there were some, some problems. Joab probably saw through that more than David did, but David saw a shortcut to the throne. And so he was ready to, he was ready to take that on. Now last week I messed up on your outline and I didn't fill and give you as clearly as I should have one of the fill in the blanks. So I'll give it to you here today if you have that with you. If not, just ask me and we'll get it for you. But we were looking at how, how did Dave, David come to this agreement where he was going to go into this union with Abner? You see, if we only have a flesh or a reasoning level, remember we talked to you about the four different levels of understanding? If I only have a flesh or a reasoning level of understanding, it will hinder me in understanding the plan and purpose of God. Now, we're looking out here, most of us would like to believe that I have a wisdom or a revelation level of understanding. Now, when we were talking about those first when we came out in the, in the Wednesday night, we're, we're showing this to you and showing the principles. We gave you one of the under, one of the understandings that most people can relate to and understand, um, even though we don't always talk about it in the church. And that is the, the area of sexual relations. Most people bel- have a flesh-level understanding of what this is. And I give this to you because you can relate to it real easy. A flesh-level understanding of what the Bible says about sex is this. Sex is bad. And a lot of Christians feel uh, feel evil if they have those desires. They feel uh, wrong if they, if they engage in these things. They feel like God is going to condemn me. It's a flesh-level understanding. They don't understand what the, what the purpose is. They don't have the revelation of it yet. If you really got a revelation of what God did, because God doesn't look the other way when a married couple is intimate. Does not look the other way. He does not have to say, oh, they're, uh, that's not our God. And you don't have to feel ashamed about it either. But you see, we have such a flesh or a reasoning level of understanding on principles like this that we've taught it to Christian kids growing up and Christian kids feel like if I touch it, I will die. And then they found out I touched it and I didn't die. <laughs> See, just like in the garden. If you eat it or touch it, you will die. Well, they touched it and it die. Oh, I guess maybe not. See, you cannot, you cannot be satisfied with a flesh or a reasoning level understanding on things that pertain to your calling, on things that pertain to the Word, on things that pertain to God. You've got to get into the, to have a lot more. If you really understood, had a revelation knowledge of what God did with sexual relations, and if you taught that to the kids, they would understand, oh, that's why I stay out of it. That's why I wait until I'm married. Because it brings in a union between a man and a woman that is not found any other way. That's how God set it up. God established it. 
And it's why in this world, the enemy is always trying to get single people to have sex and married people not to. That is why he does it. Because he understands, he has a revelation knowledge of what this is about. And if you would teach kids that, see, but we don't teach kids that. And because what happens is that people in the world, they go out and they just sow all their oats, as they say. And then when they do that, they take that mechanism that God put in them to have intimate relations, bring them closer together. And they become seared to it. And no longer does it bring them closer together. Now when they get engaged in a marriage union, it's not having the same effect that God had put in because they broke it. Now God can fix it. <laughs> Glory to God for that. But you see, we, we teach, we're satisfied with a lower level understanding. Well, we just shouldn't do it. Why not? Because God said don't do it. And we don't understand why. But that's just, that's just an easy, easy area for you to see. There are so many areas in the Christian walk where we have settled for a flesh or a, a, a reasoning level of understanding in the things of God that it has hindered our walk. It's hindered what I can see and what I can do with, with God. You, ha- you have to be willing to get out of that, to drop some of those things. And as we taught you many, uh, many weeks ago, if you accept what is false, when what is true comes along, you will reject it. If you accept what is false as being true, when what is true comes along, you will reject as being false. That's why the devil wants to try and get false stuff into us. Because the more false things he gets into me, the more truth I will reject later. And the more truth I reject later, the lower level understanding I walk in. The lower level understanding I walk in, the less I pursue for God. And my life will not have the meaning that God intended. But that was last week. And a few weeks before that. (laughs) Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. And after all that, I never even read off that, that, that part. I, thank you, Miss Gladys. I appreciate that to tell me over there. She usually keeps me straight. You know, just, I just look over there. I can just, I can just look at it. Oh, I, I left something off. <laughs> I just go on back and get it fixed that way. <laughs> so if you ever see me looking over here, I'm checking something out. Did I, did I get that right? Did she? <laughs> Glory to God. A flesh or a reasoning level understanding will see the end results as a green light for the intersection. When you come to a green light intersection, as David did with Abner. Oh, here's an intersection. Abner is presenting me the kingdom, the northern kingdom. This must be God. And he sees it as a green light because he has a flesh or a low-level understanding. He decides to get into a union with a man who is not godly and who has usurped the throne in the north. And has got the king in the north in fear of him. And he has decided, I'm going to get in union with this because I want... That to be brought in, Abner will bring it in. In fact, I'm going to take Abner and put him in Joab's spot. And so that's what he was uh, planning on doing. So Abner gives him the kingdom. Abner gets the job. And he comes on in. Now you bring someone like that into the kingdom. What kind of things are you bringing into the kingdom? Joab killed him, it says in the Bible, because of his brother. But I think Joab also saw this, this man is trouble. When he came in, he was upset with David. He was upset because he was, he's fearful for the kingdom. You cannot bring this man in. This man is evil. This man is not good. 
And he was very upset with David for that. Verse 1, chapter 5, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh also in times past when Saul was king over us. You were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. There are three reasons they give for making David king. First off, you are the family of Abraham. Well, that's a good reason. You have been successful in battle. Well, that's a good reason there. And you are anointed by God. I don't know. They should have just stopped with that one. You are anointed by God. Most people, I put this in your outline for you, most people need reasons to obey God. You know that, don't you? Most people don't obey God because God says so. Most people obey God because there's reasons. Well, why should I do that, God? If God says in His Word, Thou shalt, well, why should I do that, God? If God, you wake up in the morning and God says, I want you to go to such and such store today instead of this one. Well, why should I do that, God? We have, I need reasons. The more honorable ones need only His Word. The more honor you walk in, all you need is God to say, Steve, don't do this today. Yes, sir. I, I, I won't do that. Most, most times, if, once you're growing and you, you understand God's speaking to you this way, once you're growing in these things and God speaks to you, you hear His voice, I don't need anything else but for Him to say, don't do that today. Yes, sir. We'll stay out of that. Would you go over there and do this? Yes, sir. I don't need Him to give me all the reasons. If He does, that's great. Some Christians take the word of men, women without question but not the Word of God. They take the Word of, of men without question. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't question it. They said to do it. We're going to go out there and we're going to do it. Now, I know that they're all uh, messing with your heads, telling you, you know, the, the virus is, is getting more intense and it's picking up. It's because you all haven't been picking up enough fear. You all have backed off on it a little bit. So they came up with a new, the new, you know, the Delta. And they're already working on Lambda. You don't know your Greek alphabet. <laughs> You're going to learn it through all this. They're, uh, they're, they're trying to tell, I don't know if you, you know that I've, I've talked with this about with, with some people in the past. Probably more personal. I think maybe on a Wednesday night we may have dipped into it one time. But you know the test that they use for this virus. How many of y'all know what it's called? It's called a PCR test. Do you know that the very man that people consider to be the authority, Mr. Fauci, who's a liar, I never believed him from the beginning, but he came on out. Do you know that a year and a half ago, he told you that this test was inconclusive? Out of his mouth, he said, this test cannot be trusted to tell you who is sick. Now, it's a PCR test. The very man who created it, the very man who created the PCR test, I heard his, I didn't hear people talk about his, I heard his testimony. And he said, this test cannot tell you that you are sick. It cannot even tell you that you have the virus. He said it. It cannot. Now, here's the funny thing about it. You can adjust this. You can adjust it up or down. And they have. If they want the numbers to be increased, they adjust it one way. If they want the numbers to decrease, they adjust it another. 
That's why they try and tell people, have you been sold on this? You can have the virus and not have the symptoms. Why? Because we can turn the PCR test up. And we can get a positive out of you without you feeling a thing. That's the test that they're using. Now, a little while ago, they said, we're not going to use that test anymore. I haven't seen that they've actually carried that out. But people became in fear because so many more people were being infected. Did we get in fear because people were infected with colds or flus? No, but we became, became in fear of this. Simply because people said this is what will happen. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but a long time ago, uh, way back before all this happened, we had a Wednesday night service, and we, had, we took a little, little uh, veer off on viruses, what they are and things like that and what to, what to do. And we told you at that time, I think this was February, February before they closed everything down in March or April. And I told you, here's the numbers, because my background is this. I have a background in this, this area. And I showed you the three numbers that are important. The three numbers are how contagious is the disease. That's the, that's the number one. How many people are going, uh, die from the disease. And then you take those figures out and you multiply it out and you can figure out how many people will, will die overall. That's what it is. So they gave you the first two numbers. And the first two numbers no way could come close to what they gave as this is how many people will die. And we gave you all the, I don't know if you were here for that, but uh, we gave you all the math. And how many remember here, here if that and remember that one? We gave you all the math, told you the math doesn't work. It can't, you can't get there. So nobody asks any questions about, well, how come nobody's dying of the flu? How come nobody's dying of uh, pneumonia? How come all these other respiratory diseases we don't have any cases of anymore? How come it's all just this one? You see, because people are willing to take the word of men at their word, but not the word of God. And I won't do that. I'll take the, I'll take the word of God. They've uh, changed their mind on how it's spread. They've changed their mind on how it's prevented. They've changed their mind on what's good and what's not good. They've changed their mind on what you can and can't do. Now, I told you the stories. John and I, we run together. We ran together the entire time the whole thing was going on. We did not wear a mask, did not put a single thing on. I would not put a mask on. And John even told me, he said, one time we're running, he said, you know what we're doing is probably illegal. I said, they got to catch us first. <laughs> they got to catch us first. Now, I, don't, I, I'm, I tell you this because I don't want you to be in fear. Don't make decisions based on fear. Make, make decisions based on knowledge. That's all. And if you want to make a decision based on knowledge, well, I'm not going to do certain things because I have some old, older friends and I just want to, well, then make it based on knowledge. You'll make it based on fear. John called me up one time. He says, hey, I got to tell you, I got exposed to somebody who was tested positive for COVID. I said, yeah. He says, well, my wife wanted me to call you in case you didn't want to run with me today. I said, John, you're not really serious, are you? He says, no, I told you. I told her she was full of soup. I said, I'll meet you. <laughs> and we went out there and we kept on running again. I'm not, I'm not messing with it. I never made him say, no, let me know if you have the flu. I don't care if you got the flu. You'd run anyway. But you see, some people, we need reasons. Now, keep that in mind. Look at this. Verse 3. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king in Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king of Israel, over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 40 years in Hebron. Or 40, he reigned... Uh, that's the best up there, isn't it? 
You began, he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So now he finally gets crowned. He finally has the kingdom. He's finally been given the entire thing. He now has it all. This is what God said. He has now reached the calling that God said he would have. How long did it take him to get there? Estimates are he's somewhere 18, 19, maybe as young as 17 when he faced Goliath. And he's 30 years old when he became king of, of Hebron. Seven more years until he became rest. So somewhere around 20 years. 20 years pursuing this call to get to become king overall. That's a long time. You wait for something for 20 years, you can sometimes be looking for another way to, to get this to go. If... Um, if you are a, if you are someone and you're waiting 20 years, God God pulls you out of a group, anoints you king over Israel, and 20 years later it finally happens. Along the course of that time, what are you doing? Well, first off, you're preparing, aren't you? You're preparing. You're getting yourself ready. You're letting God train you. You're letting God build you up. But sometimes when people get into that position and they, that God has called them to, they quit. They quit getting ready. Don't quit getting ready. Just because you reached what it is that God said you're going to do, don't quit. Keep on pressing in. But David has got to be praying about it. Would you be praying about this? Now, sometimes people will be praying this way. Oh, God, I know you called me to be king. These people here, they don't want me to be king. But God, you want me to be king. And you know, have a cry sob story before God. God's already said, I want you to be king. But people have to decide to for him to be king in order to be put in place. God doesn't do it. God established the throne. We talked about that some time ago. God establishes the throne, but it's people who put the person in the office. They have not put David in that office yet. It's the people that will do it. So David's got to pray. So when you come and you pray, do you pray, dear God, make this happen? No, God's done what he's going to do about making it happen. So the prayers have to go into another direction. And some uh, weeks ago on Wednesday nights, we, we took up that thing on fervent prayer. We ended up spending three weeks on it. And every time I got into it, I said, oh, I got to tell him this story. Because I haven't told this story in a long time. And I keep forgetting to tell you the story. But as some of you folks have been around here, and you probably have to be around here for a long time to remember the story, because I haven't told this story in a long, long, long time. But one of the first places I learned about fervent prayer was... Um, was down at a job that I had down in Willow Grove. There was a particular uh, place down there. Was, it was a park. And in this park, they wanted me to be to run the park. And so we had the park there, and they said, uh, in, the, in the interview, they said, do you have any trouble with rough, rough uh, people? I said, I wanted the job. No. <laughs> I mean, what would you say? You wanted the job. What are you going to say? <laughs> well, yeah, I have a hard time with that. I said, no, I don't have a hard time with it. That's fine. So I get in there. I found out what they meant. <laughs> I didn't know what they meant, but I found out real fast on the job that there were two gangs. Now I'm going to I'm going to call them gangs right now. They're not gangs in that they had you know um, signs and uh, jackets or tattoos or anything. They were just a group of people over here. There's the there's the fun group, and this was the the black gang. This is the only time I'm going to use the color on it because it doesn't make any difference. They're going to become the basketball gang. 
But all they did, they came to the park and they used the park for what it's supposed to be used for. They played basketball. They were great. I loved them. And then, up at the other end of the park, where the kids are supposed to play on the playground equipment, we had the white gang. I'm going to call them the drug gang. Because that's what they did. They did drugs. They did cigarettes. They did also... This was this park apparently had a big reputation. It's still down there. As far as I know, I haven't been there in a long time. The War Memorial Park down in Willow Grove. If anybody's been... Oh, I see some people nodding. You know that park, huh? <laughs> they, they know that park. So I'm down there. I found out. I got, I got the drug gang over here. I got the basketball gang over here. Now, I like the basketball gang because they're coming to play in the park. Now, the only reason that I'm there as far as they're concerned, is I have basketballs. They came. They would sign the basketball out. They would take them out there. they play basketball. Every once in a while, I would get off work and I'd go out there and I'd play some basketball with them. I wasn't nearly as good as they were. They played basketball all day long. But they'd come, they'd let me play. Yeah, come on over here and play. And we'd have some fun. Uh, I never went over with the drug gang and did anything with them. Never did anything with them at all. They were... I don't want them. I don't want them in the park. But you know, there's only so far that you can go. So we had this battle. So once I learned this battle, this is where I learned some things about fervent prayer. Now one of the things they paid me to do, how many have never heard this story? Huh. Alright. It's been longer than I thought it has been told this. This is where one of the places I learned about fervent prayer. And so one of the things they're paying me to do is to go up and clean up all the trash that people left in the park. Now, you can get upset at that and say, I don't want to get my hands dirty and go out there and pick up trash in the park. But I didn't do that. I thought, this gives me a great opportunity. So I walked around the park, picked up all the trash. Picked up all the paraphernalia from the drug gang. The basketball gang, they were messy. They just came in to play basketball and they left. I didn't have to pick up after that. But then the other people who walk around the park, they would leave stuff. You know, I'd take picking up things. And so getting the park all cleaned up and looking nice. And so we would do that while I'm walking around. I'm praying about this situation because there's tension. There is tension between this gang over here is doing the drugs and this thing, gang over here is doing the basketball. And then there's other people in the park in between. So this is all the stuff that's, that's going on. And so I'd be praying. So I prayed in tongues walking around the, walking around the park. And I, you, you can't just, Praying in tongues, you have to pray. So I began to pray and take authority over these things. Every day I'd come into the park. I'd sit out there to clean up the park. No one's in the park when I got there. Clean the park. Go out there, clean the park. Praying around, all around the park. Praying, praying, praying. You can't just pray. You gotta put some, some action to it. And so, um, I didn't have too much trouble with the basketball gang. Once in a while we had a little bit of trouble. But most of the time the trouble's up there with the, with the drug gang. And so I went up there and kicked him out a couple of times and one of the guys in the drug gang, he was not happy with it. I said, get out of my park. It's my park. As long as they gave it to me, it's my park. I said, get out of my park. It's not your park. It is my park. I'm here <laughs> and I'm the only one who's paid to be here. Get out of my park. And he didn't like it. And I said, if you don't get out, I call the cops. And he didn't think I was serious. And so I turned to walk back to the thing and I knew what he was going to do. He picked up a rock and threw it at me. And it hit me right in the back. I didn't stop. I just kept right on going. I picked up the phone. I made it like it was a rotary dial. Rotary dial. You know. 
dialing it like this. I'm not calling anybody. I'm looking like I'm calling somebody. And that was all. He hollered, he hollered a few more profanities, and then he and his girlfriend left. So I hung up. I had one time with the basketball game. And uh, I had to go. There was another job I was due to go to. Guys, I'm sorry. i got to take the ball. He was mad. One of the guys, he was mad. He followed me into the pavilion. He looked mad. I said, Father, he looks like he wants to take me out. I knew he could. I knew he could. And uh, I just was calm. Just put the basketball away. He said, hey, look, I'm sorry. I'll be in here again tomorrow. And uh, we'll open it up for you. And uh, he just kind of settled down and, and left. That was it. That was the only run I had with them. But I had a lot more run-ins. I'm not going to tell you all the run-ins I had with the drug gang. But we had some run-ins. I never had to call the police. We settled each one and took care of it. And things started to settle down. Once uh, I got a call from my boss. He said, hi, this is uh, you know, so-and-so, um, your, your boss. Um, just to see how things are going. I haven't heard anything. He said, everything down here is fine. Really? Yeah, yeah we're doing good down here. All right. So that was, that was it. Well, a few weeks later, the chief of police of Willow Grove pulled in to my parking lot. Got out of his car. He came on over. And um, he said, what's been going on down here? I said, well, we're doing pretty well down here. I says, uh, you know, we got the, you know what goes on down here. I said, we got the drug gang up over here. And we got the basketball gang over here. And right now everything is, is peaceful. He says, I don't know what to make of this. He said, we haven't had a single call down here this entire year. The summer. I was there for the summer. We haven't had a single call. And um, he says, I don't know what you're doing. But he was glad I was doing it. He didn't know what I was doing, but he was glad I was doing it. This, they, didn't have a, they didn't have a single fight, a single call, nothing. It was going good. Later on, there was a vending machine guy. He would come on in. He came in once a week. And he came in, and I remember him him saying some things. He was he was doing some stuff, restocking all the vending, the sodas, and stuff like that. And he said, "I don't know what it is, but there's something different about this park this year. There's something I don't know what it is." He said, "But boy, there is something different about this park this year." And so we just kept at it. We just kept doing the the thing that we were doing and and going on. And um, they had a basketball league that was there that um, I was adults and they would come in at nighttime and so uh, they asked me to you know just do some things for that and uh, all I was really doing was giving them the basketballs and, and that that was it and they were supposed to handle all the rest of it well we had a couple of times where the rain would come in and so I said uh, I said well look I'm just sitting here I'll make the phone calls and I'll, I'll call everybody and take care of it and he said all right well if you'll do that and then pretty soon I was doing something else and the boss came to me in the end of the year and says you know what you've pretty much been running the league just run it just do the whole thing now, they didn't pay me anymore. <laughs> but, but that was the year that I, uh, I went up to the, to, uh, Rama, out to Raymond. So I told him, I said, look, I'm going to be leaving, uh, two weeks earlier than I thought because, uh, Rama starts sooner. I have to be down there sooner. And so they were a little taken back that I was leaving, but they were so, pr- so uh, thrilled with how the park went. They said, look, if, if you can come back here next year, they said, we're not going to have you run the park. We're going to have you run something else. Said we want we want you back, and I said, well, if I come back, well, I didn't come back, and never went back to to Willow Grove Park at all, or uh, or any of the park systems. But see, that was fervent prayer. 
This is what David needs to do. Every day you need to come against it because you're not trying to move God, you're moving people. And see, there we were moving people. We moved the drug gang and the basketball gang. Again, it wasn't too much movement with them. They were really good folks and I enjoyed them. I look forward to every time they came out. The white gang, as soon as they showed up, all right, here we go. It's on. <laughs> and it was. They, they, they tested you. They were, they were something. But um, this is what David's been doing. He's got to be, God has been showing him some things about prayer and about how to pray. We need to change the will because right now Abner's up there changing their will to go to Saul. David's praying, God, this is what you called. He's praying to, to bring this thing back down in here where we've got to move people. Unfortunately, he saw a, an easy way out and almost took it. Well, verse uh, 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now, I looked that up, the blind and the lame, and there's all kinds of uh, possible things this could mean in the Hebrew, but it seems the most logical is what you're looking at right there, is they're saying that the weakest of our city will repel you from coming in. That's basically what he's... He's saying. But it says, nevertheless, David took the stronghold. He, uh, he overcame it. Now, the reason that we're doing this is right now, David's capital, his throne is in Hebron. Hebron is the city of Judah. If we want to bring a place and put the throne someplace, it's got to be someplace new, someplace that we haven't had before. And so he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. We're going to take that city and we're going to, um, we're going to put the throne there. Now, here's something interesting. Test your Bible trivia knowledge. This is where Bible trivia can actually help you out. Do you remember when David was going to make the altar because of the, uh, the he, he got involved in the sin and the, the punishment, the, the death angel had shown up and the death angel was coming out killing people and they saw him at the, at the threshold and, the, and David went to, to stop that. And so he, he said, I need to buy the property there where he saw the angel. And that property was on Mount Moriah, which is where Abraham had uh, sacrificed as well. And so he went up to someone and said, I, I need to buy that. He said, oh, no, no, I'm going to give it to you. This is in Jerusalem. Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. So he said, let me buy it from you. No, 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 you just take it. If This is a good cause. I'll just give it to you. No, no, I cannot do anything. I cannot bring anything. I cannot offer anything to God that did not cost me something. I will buy it from you. And so he bought it. Anybody know the nationality of the person he bought it from? All right. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. <laughs> go on home and look it up. But I will tell you because it's important for you to know. But go on home and look it up. He was a Jebusite. Now, who has the city? The Jebusites. How is it that a Jebusite still owns land in the city that David took? Because one thing you're going to find when you read this account and you read the account over in Chronicles, you will see that David took the city, but it doesn't seem that he destroyed anything. We are going to find out some things about how he took it, though. Now, all this time, David, he is praying about this situation. These people don't want me to be king. 
but we need to ch- turn this around to get this lined up with God. He's, he's seen this all this time. He's envisioning, where are we going to take the capital? Where are we going to take the throne? Where are we going to put the throne? And God probably was dealing with Jerusalem as the place because you know how instrumental Jerusalem is in everything with God. Jerusalem is the place. So he said, all right, that's where it is. So the first thing David undertakes with all the people, we're going to take Jerusalem. And they took it. And David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shafts and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blame, who are hated by David's soul, actually it could also read, who hate David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. So in other words, Abner's dead. He was the guy who was going to put chief and captain. So we're going to put a new one in. Whoever does this, they'll be the one. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. David built all around from the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great and Lord God of hosts was with him. Now, you read that and you don't get a real good picture of what we're talking about here. Uh, it, the detail is not there. So I'm going to read for you something. This is uh, by, and I don't know why they write his name out this way, but this is, this is the only way I have his name right now. Sir C. Warren. Just the letter C. Warren. This is what he writes about this expedition that they go on to take the city. You ready for this? At the northern end of the pool of Siloam, you all know about that pool, he found an arched passage gradually narrowing down from a considerable height till finally there was a passage of only 14 inches. And there was a depth of 10 inches of water. There were left but 4 inches of space for breathing. But through this, his men struggled and at the end of four hours labor, they reached the light of day at the spring called the Virgin's Fount. Beginning here on a subsequent day, so one day they spent getting through that part. The next day, they went along a passage 67 feet in length and came to a perpendicular shaft leading up through the solid stone of the hill and having scaled this, scaled solid stone. Understand what that means, scaling solid stone. There's no holds. So having scaled this, the next, they next came upon a sloping passage which finally conducted them to a spot on the hill of Ophel within the fortifications. Now there are reasons for believing that this passage, the passageway there is older than the wall that was built by Solomon. So the age of it seems to be uh, in, in line with, with this part here. They, they go through all this Get through. Can you imagine crawling through a space 14 inches and you're surrounded by stone and you've got 10 inches of water to deal with? That's a, that's a little unnerving to go through that. I'm sure you, you can remember that. I was in a cave one time with some youth group. The only reason I ended up in there is because these, these kids went into the hole and I'm the youth leader. And I mean, if they're going to die, i got to die with them. I'm not going to tell you the full story on that one, but that was one harrowing experience right there because that passage just kept getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower and there was no way to get out to back out. That was it. We had, I don't know how many kids that had gone in there before I caught wind of it and had to go in and chase them out. But in, in 1 Chronicles 11:4, And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. But the inhabitants of Jabus said to David, You shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And Now David said, Whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first and became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold. Therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city around it from the Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city. 
So David went on to become great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. So what happens is, Joab takes a, a small number of men, and they go through this long passage, they get into the fortified cities, they get down to the gate, they open the gate, and they let the army in. And it seems, once the army got in, that was the battle. It was over. They already got into fortifications. Maybe there was a small skirmish that was there, but that's why the city was intact and why the Jebusites still own some, some spots in there. At least that sure would seem to be it. Verse 11, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shammua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishima, Eliadad, Elida, I'm sorry, and Aliphalet. Boy, they get some names in there. Now watch this here in verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up and searched for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. And the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephidim. Where David goes here, he goes to the stronghold that's in this valley. He doesn't run away from the battle. He finds out they're after him. They bring the army. So he takes his army. He goes down there. They are greatly outnumbered. The Philistines outnumber them. Now, one thing we don't hear too much about is what happened with David and the Philistines while David was king of Judah. We don't hear about the battles between between them, and it seems that the Philistines are mostly battling up in the north. So, so what happens here with with David? It's it may be that David, being greatly outnumbered by the Philistines, came up with a, some kind of an agreement and maybe paid them even tribute money. That's a supposition that is that is there. Don't know about it. Maybe they uh, just let them off because of uh, their their previous relation. But it didn't seem like there was any any skirmishes or battles. But now David is taking over the kingdom, and Philistines are still at war with the people in the north, and David's there. All right, we got to get this David. Can you imagine what it's like with the five lords of the Philistines, especially with the one who sided with David and the four who said that no. We don't want David. Can you imagine what that meeting was like? We told you. Now he's king over our enemy. We're going to go get him and you better come along with us. We've got to go out there and we've got to kill David. We've got to take him out. When you move after God's call, it will produce plenty of enemies and plenty of problems. When you go after God's call and you take God's call, you are walking in God's call, you will have enemies and you will have problems. The presence of enemies and the presence of problems does not mean you are in God's call. But if you are in God's call, you will have them. They will come after you. Even if before they were getting along, the Philistines were getting along, it seems to be okay with David while he's over there in Hebron. But now, uh-uh, we're coming to get you. And so David takes his army and he goes out there. He's outnumbered. 
And I put in your outline, don't be, don't be surprised or boast of them. Don't go out there and talk about, some Christians do this. They go out and they talk about all their problems. I got all these problems. I must be doing something right. You ever heard that one? Doesn't mean that. You could be doing everything wrong and have problems. Having problems doesn't mean you're doing everything right. Having enemies doesn't mean you're doing everything right. I know some people, they are not doing God's call. They're not following after God and they have plenty of enemies. Enemies and problems do not mean you are in God's call. But if you are in God's call, know you will have enemies and you will have problems. Don't let the devil tell you, well, you have all these problems and all these enemies because you're missing God. Don't, don't listen to that. Get the word of God. Verse 19, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal, Perizim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of the place Baal, Perizim. And they left their images there. And David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord and he said, "Shall You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come upon them in the front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees that you shall advance quickly. For the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. It's a hard thing when God tells you how to do something and you're presented with the same challenge again to not just go out there and do it the same way. But David said, shall we do it? Shall I go up? Yep, you should go up. How shall we do it? Don't go up against them this way. Circle around behind them. And you're going to hear something. When you hear that, that's when you know I've gone on before you. That's, that's when you leave. So David did according to the word of the Lord. Now that's more, that's more of a word and more detail than you would get from the Urim and the Thummim. You get a yes or no with that. So, in this situation, even though it's not specifically said, a prophet must have come out and told him, this is the strategy, this is what you need to do. Because you don't get that from the, the way that he had sought the Lord in the other, other times. So they probably were seeking after the Lord, and the prophet came up and said this thing to him. Now see, the Philistines thought they had some kind of control over David. But it didn't seem like they did. And they were kind of surprised, so they came on over there. Well, we just need to kill him. We need to get rid of him. If the enemy can control you, they will let you be. Understand that. If the enemy can control you, they will let you be. We don't, we don't care about that. As long as you do what we want you to do, it's, it's fine. That's one of the things about Rome. When Rome would rule, rule their, uh, rule the world, rule the country, they came into the country, they didn't make you do all the things that Rome wanted you to do. They let you do what you wanted. As long as you paid your taxes, gave Rome the taxes, and submitted yourself to Rome, you can do what you want. You set up your own rules, do your own thing, but you had to submit to your overall rules that, that Rome had. As long as they controlled you, but as soon as you start to rebel, well, then they would come on down and they would crush you. So if they lose control, your enemies will come after you. Or those who believe and act the way that you do. Remember in the book of Acts, the leaders were attacked so that those that were under them would see how the disciples were treated. 
how they were beaten. If you see that, we're doing it with them. We're going to do it to you too. So y'all be quiet. Y'all hush. Remember when Moses went to Egypt to free the Israelites? And when he got wind that they wanted to get free, what did he do? He beat the leaders. And the leaders got mad at Moses. And it trickled all the way on down. You see, if people lose control, then what they have to do is they have to take on a few public or a few that are leaders and beat them down. And if they can do that, then the people who follow them become discouraged and they go. You'll see this all through the Bible. You'll see it through history. This is how things were, this is how things were done. This is how dictators come to power. This is what they, what they do. This is just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's torn out a lot, but it's, it's a lot of Marxism. It's a lot of, uh, uh, dictatorship. It's a lot of people that just want to take away your freedom. You can't have a whole lot of people standing up for those freedoms. When you get into a place and you obtain the promise, there are some things that will not change. You're going to find some things that will not change. I'm going to, I just gave you some room there. You can write these down if you want to. Some of the things that will not change. First off, preparation. You are still preparing. I don't care if you are in the call of God, if you are doing what God called you to do, or how close you are there, you are still in preparation. Because though you have started the call of God, you have not reached the end of that call. And there are still some other stages of that call you are preparing for. Always be preparing. Always be studying. Always be pursuing. Always be going after God. Be in preparation. Second, growth in honor. You gotta learn how to continue to grow in honor. You gotta keep pressing forward as we've been talking about the higher levels of honor. You walk on the level of honor that you're on, you can see the next level, you can study the next level, and then after a while you're ready to, to walk in that level of honor. Then when you get to that level of honor, you can see more. You can see higher, higher levels of honor. People who walk in high levels of honor cannot understand how people, uh, operate who don't. Because it is just a freeing way of, of, of walking. Growth and honor. First and third, you still learn obedience. Wasn't Jesus said in the Hebrews, book of Hebrews, he learned obedience even to the cross? So even though he's in his calling for three and a half years, he's still learning obedience. Didn't mean he was disobedient. Don't, don't get that idea. Jesus was never disobedient. Jesus never sinned. But there's always a higher level of obedience. All right, Jesus. You've been obedient here. Now I need you to step into this. Yes, sir. And he did. Now I need you to step into the cross. Yes, sir. And he did. You remember that conversation he had in the garden? What doesn't change is opposition. People will oppose you. They will. They will come against you. Just be ready for it. Just because you have reached... The place just because David is now king does not mean no one will oppose him. In fact, a whole lot of people said, hey, let's test out this new king. See how good he is. They found out. What will change? First off, you're going to have greater responsibility. The more you walk in the call, the more you walk in the, the things that God has for you, the greater your responsibility. Greater responsibility means greater reward. People who depend on you increases. You will have more people that will depend on you. You answer the call of marriage. 
A lot of times that means more people will depend on you. Little kids come along. There's more people that are going to depend on you for that. doesn't just have to be in that. That's just one aspect of things. But people will depend on you. That will increase. There will be people that are after what you have now. They don't like that you've got something. <laughs> Ever seen that? You get something. I don't like that you got that. I want that. They, they're envying. People don't like that. They're going to come after what you have. They will always come up with reasons for why you shouldn't have it. They may not say it out loud, but they're also saying there's reasons why I should have it. But there are people that are after what you have. They weren't after you before. Now they are. The enemy that wanted to get you off course. See, up until then, the enemy's just trying to get you off course. He's just trying to get, steer you away from where you're going. I don't want you to reach that final call. I don't want you to get to that place. I want to steer you away. But after you reached it, after David has reached it now, we're not satisfied to just steer David away. What do we got to do? We have to destroy him. We have to kill him. Isn't it interesting? No one was trying to kill Jesus until he stepped into that ministry for three and a half years. Then he had all kinds of people plotting to kill him. The enemy wants to get you off course. But once you get over there, that'll change. Now he wants to destroy you. The tactics that, tactics that the enemy will use. These are the things that he will be, that will be deployed against you. And this is not an exhaustive list. I'm just giving you a few things here. One of the things is fear. He will get you to be afraid of something. He don't care what you're afraid of. Just so you are afraid of something. Don't be, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. We had the story when my son was, was growing up. And for, you won't believe this maybe, but for a little while in his life, I don't know, until he was about six, he was afraid of roller coasters. Yep, he was afraid of roller coasters. I don't mean those little rinky dink ones. I mean the big ones. He was... He was afraid of them, but I remember, I still remember the day. We're up at Hershey Park. They got, remember that big tall one they have that comes down when you get to the top of the hill, comes down over top of the pond? Love that ride. I went on that ride with a friend of mine when I was in youth group, and we made a bet with each other. First guy to put their hands down loses. And we got in the front car every ride. And we did six in a row, front car, because the one you see. Back is where you whip around. Front one, this is where you see it. You are looking down that hill and hands up. And no, you don't dare put them down. And neither one of us lost. <laughs> but we took him on that. He says, I gotta face my fears. I gotta face, six years old. I gotta face my fears. <laughs> Some of you are looking at, what kind of parent are you putting a six year old on the road? <laughs> a good one. <laughs> And so we're on the roller coaster. We're going up. He changed his mind. <laughs> yes, sir. He changed his mind. We're going up the hill. You know, up that. You remember that? Anybody been on that Hershey Park ride? Yeah. Clack, 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 clack. Clink, 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 clink. Guys, you're going on up. Every time you go up, clink, 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 clink. Going on up. You're getting higher and higher and higher. You keep going up. As you get up, you got about halfway. I don't want to do it. 
I don't want to. I mean, what do you say as a parent? I don't want to do it. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Nobody's stopping nothing. <laughs> we went up that. I'm, well, we're doing it now. <laughs> and so we got up up there and we get on up. There. We're not doing no hands. I'm just I'm just glad he's on. <laughs> just glad he's on. And, and I'm not setting a bad example. I'm holding on. And so uh, we're, we're hanging on. And uh, we got over top of there and we started going down. And I thought we were okay because he was silent. <laughs> For a little while. <laughs> oh man, that just terrified him. And we got all the way on through it. And got, and I thought, well, that's it. We're done with roller coasters here. As we got on out, he goes, he goes, oh man, that was, that was something. He said, but I gotta face my fears. Can we do it again? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we got in that line again. I don't know how many times we did it. At least three times we did that ride. And he got better with each, each time and, uh, just did fantastic. But, uh, you know, you gotta face your fears. Just cause you're afraid of something doesn't mean it's going to kill you. You're just afraid of it. Just because you're afraid of that spider does not mean it's going to kill you. More than likely it won't. You may die of fear, but you won't die of the spider bite. See, it's the fear that gets us to do things. The reason people die of spider bites is because they see the spider and they make a sudden move that hurts them or kills them. <laughs> That's the thing to get you. Don't don't get into fear. This is what the enemy wants to put fear on you. Get you afraid of something. Don't do something out of fear. Do it out of knowledge. That's how the enemy will deploy against you. First off, fear. Second, pressure. From people or situations. He will make you feel pressure that you have got to do this. You've got to go along. You gotta give in. Pressure like the three Hebrew children faced at the fiery furnace. If you will bow now, we won't bow. Then you give in to that pressure. Pressure that Daniel faced. Pressure that Moses faced when Pharaoh said, I'm not letting them go. There's pressure. It will try and change you. Third, shortcuts. All right, well, you don't have to go through all that God said you have to go through. Just do this. Mm-hmm. Abner says, you just, just make legal with me. We're good. We'll, I'll bring the kingdom to you. The devil comes to Jesus and says, just bow down and worship me. Everything you came here for, I'll give it to you. No battle. I'm going to try and get you to do a shortcut. Don't take the shortcut. Looking on Wednesday night, Joseph was given a shortcut. Didn't work out. Here's the last one. This is, again, it's not an inclusive list. You can keep on adding some other things to it. Settling for less than God's best. You see, God wants you to get here. And I have been working, getting there, and I'm here. And I'm tired. You know what? This is good enough. I mean, look at where we got. Glory to God. But I thought you were supposed to get here. Yeah, I thought that too. But here, here, this is good. 
it's going to get you to settle for less. Don't settle for less. Don't don't take on the tactics of the enemy. Just know when you press in the honor, when you press in the God, when you press after the things that God's called you to, you will face stuff. You will face people. But God will bring you through. But don't settle. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to pressure. People are going to try and get you to do something. Sure, don't take the shortcut. Shortcuts don't generally help you out. How many times have you taken a shortcut or in a direction somewhere and it did not save you anything? Once in a while it works out. But most of the time, why did I take this shortcut? Why did I, why did I just stay on the road? Going where I was going. Mm, I'd be there by now. But you see, now next next week when we get into this, we're going to see a probably the life of David. This is one of the more famous things, one of the more well-known. This is where he decides we're going to bring the ark of God back. And somebody died. And he got mad at God. You ever get mad at God because something you were doing for God didn't work out? You ever get mad at God for that? We're going to look at that next next week. And... We have the famous scene where David is dancing. Because they, they're bringing the ark back right. And they get it back into the, into the city. And he's excited. And he starts dancing and worshiping. And so we're going to have fun with that, with that chapter. That'll be next week. This morning we have communion. Would y'all stand up with me? Of all the things that we remember when we have communion together and we share this time, we need to remember that communion is certainly one of those times that represents a shortcut. Settling for less than God's best. Thank you. Remember when Peter pulled out the sword and he cut off the guy's ear Jesus said, put it away. Don't you know I could call for ten thousands of angels? And they would come. Isn't that amazing that this is the plan of God and God would send his angels if Jesus would have said, come. How would you have done? Knowing that you could just say the word and the angels would come and take you out of the situation. I think we'd be going up to heaven. God be saying, all right, we got to try that again. But Jesus didn't do it. He didn't settle for less than his calling. He went after the redemption of all mankind. He didn't take a shortcut, even though he was offered one very early on. He didn't give in to the fear of this that was coming, being separated from the Father for the first time ever. Being separated from the Father. What's that going to do? And he didn't give in to all the pressure of all the people around saying all the things that they were saying, doing all the things that they were doing, trying to get him to change. Jesus stood up against these things. He obtained his calling and obtained salvation for us. 
And the night that he was betrayed, turned into the hands of sinners, he had the time with his disciples. And before supper, he took the bread, because this is a separate thing from the blood. From the, the blood. He took the bread and he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. The body of Jesus was broken, was bruised. His bones were not broken. Word of God is very clear about that. But they beat him. They whipped him. They made him not even look like a man. He did that so that in his body, he bore our pains, he bore our sicknesses, he bore our diseases. So that we don't have to. When we eat together, know that Jesus did a complete work. He didn't pull back from anything. He laid out his body for us. Let's eat together. After supper, it's a whole meal in between because these are two different aspects of salvation. He took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The forgiveness of sins is in the blood. It's not in the body. The body has a different function. People try and lump it all together. It's not. It's two separate functions. It's two things he did. He wants your body free of sickness and disease. And he wants your spirit free of sin and the penalty of death. Blood in the Old Testament is bulls, rams, goats, doves. All it did was cover sin. But he washed it away. Paid the price. Presented his blood before the Father on the altar that is in heaven. The altar that Moses saw and mimicked and copied and made into the tabernacle, which later became the temple. That came from heaven. He took his blood up on that altar. It was in heaven. And he presented it before the Father. Doesn't have to keep being represented. Don't let the enemy ever tell you that his blood is insufficient. That you have to do something more in order to be forgiven. You don't. What he did is all we need. Let's drink together. Father, I thank you for the example of Jesus and so many others in the Word who faced fear, who faced pressure, who faced shortcuts, who faced settling for less than God's best. But they overcame. There are people who live on as demonstrations for us that we overcome. We don't have to give in to these things. We do not fear what man can do to us because we know whose hand we are in. We thank you for it. And we give you praise and glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Glory to God. So good to have you out here with us. We're not done. We're continuing on over at our house. Everyone here, you're invited to come on out. We have the address, I put it right in the bulletin. You can just punch that into your GPS.